You were listening to The Study Hub on Drive Time at RT Radio 1. Tune in to us live Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30pm. Drive Time on RT Radio 1 with Sarah McInerney and Cormac O'Hara. Myself and Evelyn O'Rourke are talking about the old days here. We're saying it's not as tough as it was in our day. Oh, Matt's they know two. nothing. They know nothing compared to our day. With a bit of cold, just, you know, scraping out the numbers in our maths classes. What's on Study Hub tonight? What isn't on Study Hub tonight, uh, Cormac? Very busy show this evening and you're all very welcome to it. And we'll be getting stuck into maths paper to honours level. So please grab your logbooks on your calculators and we'll bring you back to that uh, that time in your life, Cormac, when you were ploughing through maths paper too. Loved it. Now, finding studying tough with all the emotional upheaval that everybody has been experiencing? Well, we will have some great tips for you shortly. And to help you prepare for that, I invite you now to take a pause as we share some magic words of encouragement from one of Ireland's most celebrated school principals. Before I dismiss you for the weekend, a few announcements. On Monday morning, several of our Year 13s will face their GCSE Maths Reset. Now, I know how daunting Reset examinations can be. So if anyone is feeling anxious or worried, or even if you just want to chat, please, please do not come crying to me. Sister Michael there from Derry Girls, but do not fret. We will actually be getting some practical, useful advice from lecturer and author Jacinta Kitt about managing those emotions and the stresses and strains of it all. And we'll be catching up with music teacher Susan McCormack and hearing how COVID restrictions will affect music students facing into their practicals, which are happening over Easter. And this little bit of music, this from the curriculum and music, should help inspire you this evening. a little bit of burly is there while you're making the dinner but we are also interested this evening in hearing how you're getting on with your new online exam portal experience the system opened yesterday at midday you have six days to register choices there so let us know how you're getting on with this you can text us on this or any of the subjects at 51551 but first this evening it's one of the big beasts of the leaving cert it's maths higher level paper two a few weeks ago on the show, on episode four, uh, on January the 21st, we covered Matt's paper one higher level with John Brennan. That podcast is available on our homepage, so you can go track that down. But this evening, it's the turn of its wordier companion paper too. But of course, on this show, when we think of Matt's, we think... Math is a wonderful thing. Math is a really cool thing. So get off your ass, let's do some math, 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 math. We are all deep down born to be mathematicians. Mathematics is a sense just like sight and touch. It's a sense that allows us to perceive realities which would be otherwise intangible to us. You know, we talk about a sense of humor and a sense of rhythm. Mathematics is our sense for patterns, relationships, and logical connections. It's a whole new way to see the world. There you go, a whole new way to see the world. And I'm joined now on the line, no pressure to you, Joe McCormack. Uh, Joe's a maths teacher with 20 years experience, founder of the Ace Maths Tuition and author of the Ace Maths Solution books. Joe, we're going to start at the beginning. I mean, obviously, we keep hearing that the papers have been changed a little bit this year, a bit more choice, maybe a newer format. What are the significant differences for students this year with this particular paper at this point? Hi, Evan. How are you? Good. 
So, um, yes, students um, used to have uh, no choice on the paper. Um, obviously, for the first time in 10 years now, this year there's a change. So there is a choice on the paper this year, so that's, that's noted at this, as we stand at this moment. So um, in Section A, you have 150 marks and the six short questions there. And the students do five of these and the 30 marks each. And then in Section B, you have 150 marks also. And there's four long, more practical questions there. And you do three of these and they're worth 50 marks each. So that's basically the layout of the paper there. So that's a lovely start, really, because, you know, I, people often talk about time being the enemy in paper too. But if you know you've that choice, that has to relax students going in, which is great. So what is your best advice, though, for students when they go in, sit down first and see the paper? Do they plough in and get on with it? Or what do you think they should do? Yeah, well, Evelyn, I suppose the advice kind of varies a bit subject, but... Uh, uh, it's not like an English paper where you just read the paper from start to finish. Um, I wouldn't um, spend too much time reading the paper, maybe five minutes at max, and um, just kind of tick off what you fancy and uh, then get on with it. And um, I suppose with the choice this year, um, you need to have a bit more tactical awareness in relation to strategy for the paper. Um, so I would recommend that you do two out of the three short questions, kind of to settle the nerves and just get some marks into the bag. And um, go on then and do all the long questions and then go back and complete the short questions. So my, my thinking on this one is that students tend not to get the long questions done if they're left at the end of the exam, you know. So um, maths is obviously, it's critical that they stick to the time. So 50 marks equals 25 minutes and you always divide by two. There you go. Now, the overall layout of the paper, this is kind of fascinating because on this show, we're always saying to students, you know, go to the past papers, know your paper. But in the case of maths, there's kind of no official layout that they can kind of learn off. And that's what they have to get used to. Yeah, that's correct, Evelyn. Yeah, there's no specific layout to the paper. Like any topic can appear anywhere and um, it changes from year to year. And topics tend to be mixed together into one question as well. Like, for example, probability and statistics can come up together and then geometry and trigonometry could come up. Uh, but a couple of points to note here. Um, I wouldn't be leaving out any topics, really, to be honest, um, because we don't really know what can come up. And uh, also, I wouldn't be doing extra questions because the students will run out of time if they start that. So time of, is of the essence in maths, big time. Commit is what you're saying. Commit to that question and get on with it. Um, Absolutely. Now, let's focus on the content then. And tell me what's important, saying geometry and trigonometry, in your view. Yeah, I suppose geometry and trigonometry um, often come up together, Evelyn, and um, this idea of similar triangles is quite popular lately. And uh, in geometry, then, there's, there's a bit of learning. Mm -hmm. So students need to learn their constructions, they need to learn their theorems, and unfortunately, they have to learn them off by heart and, and practice these uh, steps to get the construction and the theorem done. Um, I suppose the advice from me would be the best way to learn your, your proofs and constructions is just to keep the right, writing them out and maybe pin the difficult ones that you're having struggling with, maybe pin them up in the wall and just keep, keep repeating that process. I love that. That's um, quite old school, that, you know, up with the yeah. post-it, up with the flashcards, up on the wall, no, no hiding from it. Yeah, I mean, like some of the best ways to study are, are the old ways. And um, I suppose from a geometry point of view, uh, this is usually one short question on the paper in section A. And then trigonometry then can be mixed in with it or it can be on its own. And uh, just from experience, uh, the 3D shapes are very popular here. And uh, my advice would be to break the shapes into two and three triangles and then solve using Sokotoa, Pythagoras, or the sine or cosine rule. And of course, the students will know that the sine and the cosine rule is in the log table. So that's, that's comforting anyway. And um, 
Yeah, so, and also you're saying, look, they have to know their trigonometry, but what about coordinate geometry of the line in the circle? Because these are linked as well, aren't they? Yeah, um, they, they do tend to come up together as well, Evelyn, but of course they can come up on their own too. Um, so I suppose they tend to come up in section A in general, and, but you could have two short questions in section A now on coordinate geometry of the line in the circle. So I would say here that um, uh, the important formulas are in your pa page 18 and page 19 of that that log tables, that's a really important document that you get when you go in. And um, there's three big formulas that the students need to be familiar with. And I, I would say that one of them has a great chance of coming up. So the perpendicular distance between the, a point and a line, dividing a line in a given ratio. And then the third one is find the angle between two lines using the tan formula. And again, luckily, all these formulas are in your log tables, so they don't have to learn them off. A um, couple of other points on coordinate geometry. Um, slopes is always a big one with the SEC. So know your slope formula, be able to use it from the log tables. But also um, the, this idea of the slope being minus x over y and also rise over run. And then finally, um, the students need to be able to find the centre and the radius of any circle given its equation. And we need to be careful here because the equation can come up in different formats, which can be tricky for the student. And probability, what are the chances ho -ho, of probability appearing on the paper, Joe, do you think? Uh, Evelyn, there's a 100% chance of probability appearing. Oh, the right answer, go on. <laughs> Sorry, we have to put in a bit of comedy because maths can get boring sometimes. <laughs> um, so I would say here, Evelyn, that no, knowing uh, that these important three formulas again here, this time, unfortunately, you have to learn these off. So again, there's a, I think there's a great chance one or more of these will appear. So um, students should know the formula for the conditional probability. Mm -hmm. And that's in relation to the probability of an event A occurring, given that event B occurs, and they should be familiar with that. And then the second uh, formula they need to learn here is to, to show that two events are independent. And then finally, they need to be able to show that events are mutually exclusive. Now, tell me about the GAA lottery, because I liked this example. Yeah, so... Um, there's, other, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of other things that I think might come up this year and kind of you, you could say nearly every year, um, either the Bernoulli trials, which is um, where you have to apply a formula and spot, some, spot um, independent um, variables and um, the expected value of an event. So, for example, if a GA were running a, a club lottery, they, would, they, they could probably calculate their expected profit. I was doing a question the other day, actually, that an expected loss, but that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll move on from that. Lytton's, and then statistics there, Joe, just quickly. What uh, what should students know about that? Yes, yeah, so really important to know the, a bit about Z-scores there, Evelyn, for the normal curve. The empirical rule is always uh, is always on the table there. Um, the 98%, 95%, and 68% um, within, within the standard deviation. So students need to be familiar with that. And then inferential statistics... Um, quite popular also and um, students should know the, how to deal with confidence intervals for a sample proportion and also no hypothesis testing but of course um, you need to kind of be familiar with how to how to interpret these questions like there's no point in learning them off like a robot because then you get caught on the day you know okay now paper two questions coming in is more wordy than paper one how do i deal with these type of questions joe what's your advice around that yeah, yeah, it is. There is a lot of words in the paper, a lot more reading. And I suppose the secret is to, to read each question line by line and try and understand it. That's what I get to do with my own students anyway. So um, underline the key information given, Evelyn, and um, you might spot a number or a verb kind of and just hone in on that and just pick out the, the key information. Um, I suppose an important point would be if there's a diagram or graph on the on the paper, double check the words in the, in the, in the text against the actual image and fill in the measurements if there's anything missing. And a big one for me is the way I would teach myself is know as many maths words as you can. So 
for example, what does solve, evaluate, express, simplify, factorize, differentiate? What do they mean? You know, start putting them into a hardback and your understanding of them and you're building up your, your word toolbox then from there, you know? I like that image of the maths word toolbox. That sounds great. And Joe, I know yeah. you very generously agreed to offer to share some of your content with us on the uh, study hub through RTE Learn. So just very quickly, what are you providing there? What would students find there? Yeah, so uh, the first one is a PDF, um, 100 maths words that appear on exam papers. Basically, just uh, written down the word and a simple explanation for the student to understand. So great. very important to... To, to build on that and then just a sample of my own book as well a sample of my ace math solution book so that's uh, there's 25 pages there as well excellent mention there and joe thank you so much for joining us this evening that's joe mccormick founder of ace math tuition and author of the ace math solution books now as you mentioned earlier a few weeks ago on the show episode four we spoke to john brennan veteran maths teacher from benildas and the Ballantyre institute also the author of many solutions books we caught up with john brennan earlier to get his top 10 tips for tackling paper two and he came back with the fastest set of maths paper two tips which are really great so grab your pen so if you're ready take it away john well evelyn it's really good news because there's now a choice on the dating cert in section a and section b and even better the sec have said that the section b questions will be shorter than previous years what is your next tip i would suggest going for the coordinate geometry of the line because it's normally a very high scoring question and it's really basically junior search standard with three extra formulas and that steadies the nerves as it were tip number three the circle You've got to be aware of a couple of things. First of all, you must know a little bit about the geometry of the circle. Secondly, if they ask you to find the equation of a circle, you've got to realise that you're actually looking for three things, G, F and C. So you'll need three bits of information to get yourself three simultaneous equations. Tip number four. Probability. Students will be well rewarded for a few hours spent revising probability. Tip number five. Trigonometry. Now, trigonometry is a huge part of the second paper. It's absolutely essential that you become good at it because it's worth at least 75 marks between Section A and Section B, sometimes more, sometimes up to 100 marks. There's other things you really ought to be aware of in trigonometry. These trigonometric identities, there's only eight of them, so make sure you can do them. Next tip. If you do switch your calculator to radian mode, make sure you switch back at the end of the trig question, because it will just totally mess up any other things you're going to be doing that involve angles. Tip number seven. There are three terms that you have to learn, 11, 12 and 13. That's about as much as I would do on geometry. Tip number eight. Go for it. Your logbook is your best friend. All of the required formulas are in the tables. And they're not all in it, but the vast majority of formulas are in the tables. But I would stress, don't just go in with your set of tables not having figured out where these formulas are. Okay. Tip number nine. Inferential statistics. They can be very difficult. And the main reason is there's a hell of a lot of English in them. Remember that the syllabus says 95% confidence intervals, hypothesis tests and p-values. Those three topics should really give you a good start in this particular question. This is tip number 10. Do your favourite question from section A first. Put it to bed, then go on to your next favourite question and so on. Attempt every part of each question. There's a thing called a low partial credit, which we discussed the last time. It's your very best friend because it will give you marks for any sort of work that heads in the direction of the answer. When stuck in a particular question, in your head, when you can't see how to do something, just say, listen, what, what was in that chapter? And just line them up. And then all of a sudden, the penny will drop because the question has to be based on stuff that you've done already. 
If you get nothing more from this programme, just remember that the logbook is your very, very best friend. A message that we keep banging on about in this programme. John Brennan there. You can get more of these kinds of tips and information on his website, tuition.ie. And John Brennan has also offered his notes for free on our website through RTE Learn. Well, we knew that there would be changes to the music practical exam of the Leaving Cert in the face of the pandemic. And now we have them. Susan McCormick is a music teacher at the Institute of Education on Leeson Street in Dublin. She joined us before to talk us through everything. But now we have our hands on the actual details. Susan, some quite significant changes there for the practicals for your students. You might start by telling us um, about the, you know, the majority of students, they choose HE1, HE2 and HE2T. So can you maybe talk to a little bit about the changes there? Sure. Good evening, Evelyn. Lovely to speak with you again. So HE1 refers to higher level performing elective students who were planning to perform six pieces on one instrument or to sing six songs with a time limit of in and around 20 minutes. Now they are required to perform for six minutes only and they do not have to perform all six songs or pieces. HE2 then is for the higher level performing elective students who are planning to perform eight pieces in total, four on one instrument and four on another, or you could sing four and play four. Again, a time allowance of around 20 minutes. Now they are required to perform for four minutes only on each instrument. Again, they do not have to perform all eight pieces. And then HE2T is the other popular one, which is higher level performing elective students who were planning to perform four pieces on one instrument and to do a music technology component. They would have had a time allowance of around 10 minutes for their performing. Now they are required to perform for four minutes only. Again, they don't have to play all four pieces. And for music tech they would have had to input two two-part pieces or one four-part piece now they only have to input one two-part piece and to carry out two rather than three edits they'll set up the score in advance so they don't have to do that during the exam and they also don't have to print or retrieve and I should mention that I know a couple of students were concerned they've been practicing a four-part piece they can still use that same piece for the exam but they'll only be required to input two of the four tracks the melody plus another one of their own choice my god wonderful choices there and lots of breathing space or whatever in terms of approaching all of that but let's talk a little bit about in the room itself because i was fascinated by the new restrictions or the new kind of measures that have been introduced for people and they're actually playing in the room for example candidates must be masked at all times you might talk us through the wind instrument players what they will have to do Yeah, so for wind and for vocalists, there are some strict rules that we have to follow. So first of all, you'll be masked when you go into the exam room. Any, you know, correspondence, talking, doing your unprepared tests, that'll all be, you'll have your mask on as to will the examiner and any accompanist who's in the room. But wind instruments and singers will remove their mask for performing. They must sing or perform at a right angle to the examiner. And there'll also be a minimum of about two metres, at least two metres from the examiner too. So I suppose logistically, you'll have to think about where you're wow, going to be placed yeah. in the room so that you're not only not facing the examiner, but you also need to be careful that you're a good distance away from the accompanist too, if you have an accompanist. So, so a little bit of Yeah, the room will be so important in this. So they'll go to right angle, they'll walk in with the mask on and they're doing their leaving sort of practical. Gosh, that's a lot to handle, isn't it? What about the accompanists then uh, in the corner, Susan? What is their, what's the, what are their obligations? 
Well, again, they'll need to be masked and um, they'll go in, sit at the, the piano and then leave pretty much straight after. I don't think there'll be too much um, correspondence with them. Again, they just need to be a, a good distance away from, from both the examiner and very importantly, from the from the performer as well. And if you choose sight reading, you're not allowed to touch the test booklet. The examiner will open it. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. the examiner will place it on the music stand for you so you don't have to worry about that and they'll, they'll point to whichever one they, they, they wish for you to do. And that'll go for sight clapping as well. Finally, do you welcome these or what do you think? Do you think it adds pressure or how do you view this? Yeah, you know, I, I think it came as a bit of a surprise, the, the actual format of the new exams. And I know that it has unsettled some students and students will need a little bit of time to digest these changes. I know I've needed to take mm. a few days just to digest them. And I would say take that time, discuss the changes with your instrumental or vocal teacher, if you have one with your classroom teacher. And really, I would say take this as an opportunity to really play to your strengths. You know, you <laughs> have the opportunity here to pick your best suit to play your best hand you know show your best angle um, and do what suits you best so take that time and, and be clever in your choice of, of piece that you perform on the day and I think that you will do you'll do great and enjoy it as they say listen thank you and so much and enjoy it most importantly thanks so much Susan McCormick music teacher at the institute there for those tips don't forget Susan made a wonderful video tutorial for drive time study hub music students with a focus on that melody question in particular and you can find that by looking for RTE Learn Senior Cycle more resources now if you're looking for some hand guides to your Shakespeare RTE radio drama on one have 66 count them 66 episodes to help you study King Lear including a quiz and theme explainers and scene analysis all under the stewardship of the actor and director Alan Stanford. Now a few words about why we actually study Shakespeare. Shakespeare is and always has been considered uh, for the last 400 years one of the if not the greatest single playwright the world has ever known. Not simply because he wrote great plays, but because he wrote plays about real people. Not real people in history always, but the people in his plays are always incredibly real. When he writes a play about kings and princes and queens and all of that, they're not just kings and queens. They are actual real human beings who suffer real human conditions. Drama, there you can find Drama on One Study Guide podcast. I put a lot of work into that. It's super actually. And rt.ie forward slash podcasts or search for Lear in Lockdown in your podcast app. Now moving on, we're joined on the line now by Jacinta Kitt. Jacinta has been involved in education for many, many years through teaching and working as part of the Department of Education in Trinity College for 20 years. She's an author, a popular speaker on the lecture trail. God, amazing. She could fit us in this evening. We're delighted to have her. Jacinta, you're very welcome. And just to Thank start. You. Thank you very much. You're yeah, very yeah. welcome. Now, just to start, you know, we know that this past year has been very stressful for everybody but tonight we're going to focus on leaving certain students as such and the family home and the parents and all this. At this point emotions are running high all around. How is this impacting students do you think and their studies and their home life and their school life do you think at this point? Well I suppose the main thing is that yes they are experiencing a huge number and array of negative thoughts and emotions during this time and what the emotions and the thoughts are doing they're actually cluttering up the mind and they're eating into the time that they've set aside for study so they're distracting them from doing quite apart from all the other uh, implications of those uh, stressors but they're eating into the time and they're distracting them and preventing them 
from making productive and fulfilling progress. So that would be the main thing. And of course, the interesting thing about it is that the emotions include things as wide a range as worry, fear, anxiety, distress, feelings of rejection. Uh, people talk about frustration, loneliness, and even guilt and shame. So they're very, very strong emotions. But I suppose the most interesting thing about them is that most of the stressors that are causing these emotions come from relationship issues and interpersonal issues. And the research is really clear that where you have interpersonal stressors, they are 50% more stressful than impersonal and they last 50% longer. So this is why it's very, very difficult to deal with them without strategies. And the main stressors that students talk to me about and the teachers talk to me about are around those relationships. For example, you know, conflict, disagreement, rouse, in the family or whatever with family members the inter interesting one is the interaction on social media which are relationship based as well and it's maybe even about the old likes there's been quite a bit of research done recently <laughs> on the likes you know sure. not getting the likes or maybe being left out of a discussion or me maybe even kind of witnessing others you know showing off or you know portraying themselves as having you know a much better life and looking much better those you know, can give them feelings of rejection and inadequacy. And one of the biggest ones that they're complaining about as well is the kind of what I call the tug of war between what they want to do and what they have to do. So the, the interpersonal side of that is that they're really missing socialising, they're really missing forming new relationships. It's a time in their life when they're meeting people and falling, forming relationships and romances and where they, they're missing celebrating and they're missing partying. All of those things are, you know, what, what, what are really bothering them during these times. So you can imagine the influence that those have on their ability to study and to concentrate. Well, it's funny because I was thinking about our conversation this evening and it occurred to me yeah. really that the home has kind of turned into a workplace. Now, I know at Leaving Cert students, they would seem to be very pleased, most of them, to go back to school last week. But in terms of parents in the middle of all this, like if the bedroom's yeah. driving them mad, the next thing, all hell breaks loose. What is yeah. your strategy? What's your advice around managing the emotions in the house? Yes, well, I suppose I suppose the main thing is that they have to be parents have to be conscious of providing reassurance to children and support in these times. And of course, they're stressed themselves. And of course, the room, the bedroom, on your nerves, mug, driving you mad. No mug, yeah, <laughs> there's no mug left in the kitchen. They're in very varying de degrees of decay in the mugs <laughs> of various substances or whatever. And of course, they tendency is to complain about it. And it's perfectly legitimate to complain about it. But complaining about it in a way that they will be able to hear, that the younger people will be able to hear and do something about it, rather than throwing the kitchen sink at them, rather than going in and talking to them about that it's an absolute disgrace and how can you live here? Have you no self-respect? They're what we call scud missiles. They hit, they're personalised. The person can't hear uh, what's needed to be done. All they can hear is the personal attacks. So if you have to talk to them about something, which, and it's really important to address, inappropriate behaviour but to address it appropriately and I'm a great believer in the sandwich method. Tell me so more. The, sa 
the sandwich method is where you say something nice to the child first. Because remember, anytime you're talking about a child's behavior, and this is classic with teachers, I've been saying this for 40 years, you separate the behavior from the child. So the child is okay but the behaviour is unacceptable. So you have to get both of those messages across. So say, for example, the room in an office state, you go in and you look at it and you, of course, you really have to bite your tongue for this. And you say something like, how you love, I know you're up to your eyes with the old study and everything, but when you get a chance, you give the room a bit of a turnover and bring down <laughs> a few of the mugs down to the kitchen. Good girl, thanks a million, love. And you've got the two lovely, nice bits of the sandwich and then you've got the bit in the middle but they're able to hear it. They're much more likely to say, oh, sorry, mom. Yeah, I'll do it when I get time. Whereas when you go in and deliver the personalised message, adding scuds in, you're good for nothing, you're dirty, you're lazy. <laughs> you're the and I don't love you. Ah, uh, stop. This is getting very deep altogether. The you parents th- don't mean, mean that at all, but the child can take that. Okay. Oh, and of course, the worst thing oh, of all... Oh, Jacinta, I know. Do you know what? It's terrible. The worst thing of all is that I have to say goodbye to you now and we're just warming up to our theme but at least we're going to get the mugs back into the kitchen which is absolutely brilliant so thank you so much Jacinta Kitt author, author of Positive Behaviours Relationships and Emotions for joining us thanks to everybody else for joining us we're back here on Tuesday with German Economics and in the meantime you can always email us at studyhub at rt.ie 